Our guest this week is producer and songwriter Andrew Cedar. Unless you've been living under a rock for the past few years, you've probably heard his songs with Flo Rider, Wiz Khalifa, and Charlie Puth. That includes Grammy-nominated song See You Again. Andrew grew up taking weekly piano lessons from when he was just three years old, and with encouragement from a musical family, earned a full scholarship to UCLA's music program. After a few short years of studying, he got connected with the talent at Artist Publishing Group and received a publishing deal before he even graduated. Andrew joins us today to talk about the steps and methods that propelled his career forward on this episode of The Big Break. So let's just start off with kind of your childhood, where you grew up, and what kind of environment it was, and and go from there. So I grew up in Orange County. I was born in Anaheim, and uh, my dad was working at Disney. That's part of the reason uh, we were living in Anaheim. I was basically raised in a really musical family. My dad plays bass and guitar. Um, My mom, she sings, and she plays a little flute here and there. And uh, my grandma was a classical pianist. And so basically they started me weekly piano lessons from the time I was like three years old until the time I I moved away to college. And so it was kind of just like, I I don't really remember learning piano. It was like, I was so long, long ago. It's like, it's kind of always something that I've just kind of done. It's been part of my life. Growing up in your teens, did you kind of like know you wanted music to be your thing? Or was there ever a time where you're like, I don't know, maybe I'll try something else or? I think, I mean, in my teens was when I kind of discovered like pop music. My dad got me started playing jazz when I was really young. And so I was kind of focused on jazz piano, I'd say, until the time I was like maybe middle school, like I'd say 13 or 14. And around that time is when I started listening to like Blink-182 and like a lot of like like late 90s, early 2000s kind of guitar music. And obviously there's no jazz piano in, in that genre. And so um, my dad was like, yeah, I mean learn how to play guitar. He's like, I'm already paying for jazz piano lessons every week. So guitar's on you, but if you want to learn it, here's a couple DVDs and like have at it. And so I'd say like in those years, I kind of shifted focus a little bit and started like messing around playing in bands and like just always playing guitar and then playing jazz piano still. But it kind of like, I'd say that was the first time I had like a pop music encounter was probably when I was like 13 or 14. So it definitely like kind of shifted my outlook a little bit, but I'd say jazz piano was still like my main focus. So you learn all this music when you're, you're kind of growing up and in your teens. What happens when you graduate from high school? Um, I went to a great high school. I went to Orange County High School of the Arts. And basically, I knew I wanted to go to college. I knew I wanted like a big school, like standard, like American, like college experience. And so I applied to a bunch of different schools. The only music school I applied to was Berkeley. But when I did uh, my audition at UCLA, I kind of knew that that's where I wanted to, to end up. And then they offered me a scholarship pretty quickly after that. And so it was pretty much, I knew I was going to go study jazz piano at UCLA. Um, and that was, my freshman year was 2009. So you're studying jazz piano. What kind of like, classes were you taking or uh, what kind of stuff were you doing there? So UCLA is kind of interesting. Their jazz studies program is actually within ethnomusicology. And so I was taking classes on like 
ancient musics and like the music of China. And like, it was kind of a, a, an over encompassing, like it was just basically any, any music, whether it was world Western learning about like microtones and, uh, music of India. And it was just kind of an over encompassing, like, uh, like exploration of music in general. And then after your first two years, you kind of dive in and, and go heavy into the jazz stuff. But I was always in ensembles with uh, Kenny Burrell and taking lessons from Tamir Handelman. So, I mean, the talent there was really, really impressive. And even I'm still close with a lot of the guys in the program and girls. And just being surrounded by like those kids there was, was like a huge eye-opening experience. Everyone, the talent there was, was crazy. Yeah, it seems like whatever you go to college for, um, kind of half the half the plan is just to kind of make connections and build a network. Do you think that's that's true for your experience? Uh, yes and no. I think a lot of like my college decision had to do with like I knew I wanted to be in LA, even if like maybe UCLA is not like the top jazz program in the nation, but I knew that being in LA would aka like the center of the music industry would would have like a lot of benefits and so i think just the location aspect of it really helped i don't think us in the classes were like oh we gotta like network and like it's like more looking back on it it's like man like we were all like really dope and now we're all kind of killing it but it wasn't like a premeditated like oh and we graduated like you're gonna do this and like we all kind of just kind of did our thing and like we're all kind of hopefully killing it now so graduate 2013 i guess or 2012 yeah i graduated uh, 2013 so what happens after that kind of before that honestly like in 2012 my best friend growing up back from orange county adam Marcel, uh graduated a year early from i think nyu and he had already come back during my senior year and started working like in the industry and he was already um he'd kind of already like gotten a, a job at atlantic and um he kind of like was my connection into like the industry to kind of like start off. And so in 2012, I just hit him up and I was like, yo, is there anyone in the pop music world that I can kind of like, just like hang out with shadow, like learn what's up. And he was like, yeah, yeah. Like come through. And so I went over to the studios over at APG and he introduced me to Sam Martin. Um, he's a great, writer over at APG, DJ Frankie, who ended up being kind of like my mentor. And that was kind of the first time I met people like in the pop music world. And so kind of from that point, I was just kind of like hanging around there, like kind of interning, but kind of just being like a guy who was around. And I still like didn't really know anything about like production. I'd never like used Pro Tools or anything, but I was like a pretty good piano player and a pretty good guitar player. And I'd like to think I was somebody that like people didn't mind having around, like kind of a cool mm-hmm. person. Not cool, but like just somebody who's like enjoyable to be around. And so just from hanging around, like finally, I think Frankie was like one of the first person over there to be like, yo, let's do a session. We did a couple beat ideas. I think he sent them like to Ben Madahi and Mike Karen, who are kind of running the show at APG. And they kind of offered me a publishing deal like really quickly after that. Um, and that was all during my senior year. Um, so like the second half of my senior year, I would like go to Spanish class in the morning and then like do my best to like race over to the studio by like 5 PM and then work in the studio all night and then go back to school in the morning. So like the end of my senior year was like a grind, but it was, it was awesome looking back at it. So at that point you were really kind of focused on like performance and, and not necessarily writing and creating music. Yeah. Like 
I was still like deep in my jazz studies. Like I'd say that was like my main goal was kind of just to like graduate with this degree. But I knew that like on the other side, like there's only like two real jazz piano gigs in LA. And like, if your professor has one of them, like <laughs> you're, you're not going to like grab his gig from him as soon as you graduate. And around that time, like I was in a fraternity, I was like going out and I was like partying and like, you hear all this, this is like the peak of, of like, what I want to call like dance pop. So like you're hearing like all of the big, like Dr. Luke, Katy Perry songs and like all the early Avicii stuff is starting to like go off. And I heard all that stuff and I was like, damn, like I kind of want to do that. And so it was kind of me starting to like steer myself away from jazz music and more towards, towards that. So is that just because you were, you were hearing all this pop music kind of out and about, or did you, were you just kind of tired of jazz or what was that? It was a little of both, honestly. I was also doing like a lot of driving. I was dating a girl who uh, went to UC Santa Barbara. So I was doing like these two hour drives like up the coast. And I like, I had like my Nissan Altima that was like one year too late to have the tape deck and like one year too soon to have like Bluetooth audio. So like all I had was like the radio basically. And so I was like really like ingraining in my mind, like all of these like like the radio rotations on like on kiss and on amp and like on power and like these like 30 or 40 songs that were all playing kind of just like in early 2012 kind of just like ingrained themselves in my mind and that's when i started noticing like all the little tiny like production things like i'd be like oh wow like in the second hook like the shaker comes in on the right side and it's like not in in the first hook like that's so cool like how they do that and like that's when i really started like nerding out on it and kind of like kind of developing that like passion for production without like fully knowing how to do anything yet, but like understanding that like, that's where I needed to get essentially. Cool. So you get signed with APG and then uh, what happens after that? So basically I signed with APG, um, Frankie, uh, who's like one of their like longtime producers kind of took me under his wing gave me like a key to his studio and he was like, you got to be able to do like everything I can do and like, and better. Cause like for him, it's like, he's like an amazing producer. So I like got to bring something to the table too. So I was like coming up with as many, what I was good at was like at the time was, or still hopefully is um, just coming up with like as many like musical riffs, whether they're like piano riffs or guitar riffs and like basically like song starters, like just writing like the, the best, like, the best like palettes essentially to like write a song over and in turn on the side i was like kind of learning and soaking up everything on the production side from him and then like hopefully in turn i was like even teaching him some stuff about like theory and music uh like and like the math of it on that side so it was like a really like it was a great relationship um he's still like i consider him like like uh my main mentor and, and even like family and that was like i'd say that was like a that was a, I mean, that was a year where it was like a full all out grind. Like I knew that this was like an amazing opportunity and like, I couldn't like take it for granted. And so I was like, I was working like crazy from like 2013 uh, to 2015 trying to, I was kind of playing catch up cause I was basically learning pro tools, learning Ableton, learning outboard gear, learning all the plugins. Um, it was just basically like an obsession. Tell me more about your your kind of like the mentorship that you got with with Frankie. Is that like was it kind of like he's the boss and you're the minion, or was he kind of treating you as a peer? Like how did that work? Yeah, he's great. I mean, like he it was like totally like a peer. Like I never felt like I was like like the whipping boy 
by any means. And I think that's kind of taught me a lot about like my relationships with people that I work with also. And like, he's extremely generous. Like he gave me, like he gave me a key to his studio. And like, if you're just starting, like as a producer, like having a studio is like the toughest thing to kind of come by. And like, yeah, he pushed me to get better, but it's like any kind of relationship. I respect him more for doing that. You know what I mean? And mm-hmm. there's definitely like nights where like it's 4 a.m. and you're like sitting in there and you're like, God, I'm so ready to go home. And like, he's like pushing you to like come up with like one more like chord progression that's like fire for the night. And I'm just like, oh, I want to get out of here. But like looking back on it, that's kind of like, that's essentially like how I learned production was from somebody who's like kind of mastered it. So uh, you're hustling for a few years. What uh, is there kind of a, a point there where it, where it all shifts for you or, or what happened after that? Not really. I mean, like looking back on it, it was like kind of a slow boil. Like the first two years, like it's like one of those things where like everybody is like, damn, I'd hate to play you my beats from like when I first started, like I was so bad, but like mine were really bad. And so like, I think for the first year, I didn't hear an artist on any of my stuff. Um, I remember there was like one kind of like smaller artist that like had like a, an opportunity for a mixtape that wanted one of my beats for, but like, that was the only like nibble I got for the first year. The second year I had a song called celebrate. That was kind of the first time I heard like a major artist on like one of my ideas. Um, and that was an idea I did with Frankie. Um, he had this idea to flip the song celebrate and kind of turn it into like a pit bull like dance record and so we like Mm. chopped up the like rare earth stems and like and like threw it in this 128 uh bpm banger and it ended up being like the uh the theme song for the penguins of madagascar movie and then like everyone was like yeah it's gonna be the single like congrats like this is huge and then i think luke swooped in with time of our lives and celebrate was never like a radio single so that was like a big like bring you back down to earth moment and that kind of like set me up to like never get like too excited about anything and like don't get too high or don't get too low kind of like brought me back to reality i was like damn that was like that could have been like my first like radio song but it was still like a really good learning experience um and that was kind of like my first major label placement so at that time were you primarily doing music or were you working on other stuff or yeah i mean i was like i mean i got my advance in 2013 like not a big one my parents like definitely like helped me out for that like first year um so i wasn't really the point where i like had to get like a day job so music was like it was like all out that's why i was working so hard it was like seven days a week like in the studio nonstop. i knew i basically had like two years before i like ran out of cash and had to get like Hmm some sort of like real job or at least like on the side. And so I was like kind of pushing to like see some checks in that like first two years. And it ended up being like right about two years before I like saw like my first like actual check, which is probably like the production advance on that celebrate record. Was, was that kind of pressure? Uh, did that help you or were you, did it kind of slow you down? No, I didn't really think about it. That's like more me thinking about it. Like now, like I think in the moment you're just kind of like your head is kind of down. There's like definitely a couple of times where I like reminded myself that there's like thousands of people out there who would kill to be in the position I was in and to not really take it or like not to like take it for granted, even if it like didn't feel like stuff was working out at the time. And so especially now looking back on it, I can say that like I definitely wasn't emotional about it at all. It was like I fully understood that like I had to like work as hard as I could and hopefully something would kind of come of it. 
so you got you got a little taste of success with this celebrate song but like what was the next kind of big step for you or the next boiling point I guess the first time I heard something on the radio was probably the year after, maybe it was like six months after even, was I did a song called GDFR, Going Down For Real, for Flow Rida. And we did that song uh, with Pilo and Says the Gemini and Frankie again. And like I remember I was sitting in my car outside my house and Power 106 played it. And it was like the first time I'd heard like something like not in the studio kind of, you know what I mean? Like in the, in the Mm. real world, it's like seeing like an elephant on a safari, um, like in its natural habitat. And I was like, damn, that's, that's awesome. And I called my family right after that. And I think it wasn't even like a full play. I think they like spun it in in like a mix show at it. So they like spun out of it after the second verse or maybe like going into the second verse, but it was still like the coolest thing. Um, And I'd say that was like kind of my next, uh, that was kind of my next, like, big moment i'd say not big moment but that was like my next like like the next chapter you could call it but um that song kind of was like a slow boil like everyone kind of was like yeah like flow rider like we're not sure like if he's still like gonna be around like is he still relevant and like it took a year almost but that song i think it peaked it at number eight on the hot 100 and it it got really good air uh, radio airplay too um and so that was like another good lesson too on not like kind of like having your nose in like the charts and like worrying about like, oh man, like in the first like two months, it hasn't gotten any radio ads and like, it's not doing much on like on the, at that time it was like the iTunes charts, but like sure enough, like it got, I think it got a ESPN sync or like the NBA playoffs and that kind of made it take off. Um, and it peaked like a year later, a full year, which is crazy. Yeah. So it's, so that was, uh, I mean, that was a pretty big song, but it, it took a, a little while for it to really get traction. Did you have a lot of stuff like that or was it just kind of like you had one that you knew was going to be a hit and you were trying to get it wherever you could? Um, honestly, like I, I'm really bad at like telling what's a hit, like, cause like, I like, I never know, honestly, like it's one of those things where like, once they're like out there in the wild, I kind of just like set them free. I'm, I'm very like unemotional about it, which I guess is good and bad. It's like my, my head's kind of like in the production when I'm doing it. But like, once it comes out, I'm almost like disconnected to it it's like your work's kind of done like there's nothing you can do at that point to like make it go or not make it go so i never like really worry about like oh like this one might be a hit and this one like might not be a hit i just kind of like try to avoid like checking media base every like 10 minutes and just kind of like <laughs> enjoy it when a song's actually out so uh so are you like primarily working at this point with just kind of within apg or are you branching out a little bit yeah at this point we're branching out working with like writers and producers from other publishers, like meeting with new artists, just kind of like taking being a producer to kind of the next level at this point and like kind of learning like how to like be in a room with like different personalities and how to like take a production like from start to finish instead of just being the guy that's like responsible for like coming up with the riffs and the music and like kind of basically taking my craft to like the next level. And I'd say I was still, I was definitely, this is still like, I was still like grinding super hard because like, I, I was still like within that first initial, like two years where, where I was like trying to really like make stuff happen. And like, I'd say in 2015 was like the time where I was like, okay, like it's not that I didn't belong, but like 2015 was like the time where I was like, okay, I've been doing this now for almost like two years. I feel like comfortable in like all these rooms. I'm not just like 
thinking like, oh, do these other writers or producers or artists, are they wondering like, who is this guy? Like, why is he like working with us? It was like kind of after that, maybe it was after GDFR even where I finally felt like, okay, like I like totally belong here and could kind of like take a look back and be like, damn, like, okay, this is like definitely working. Like I'm getting way better. At that point, you kind of felt like people were coming to you and you weren't always going to other people with stuff. Yeah, exactly. Like anytime you have a song on the radio or like a song that's like creating buzz, or you have a relationship with an artist that's getting like talked about that allows you to work with like the best of the best essentially. And so definitely there was a lot of doors that were opening up um, kind of in that time frame. Do you think that made you more complacent or did that give you like more feed, feed more fuel to the fire? No, it definitely didn't make me more complacent. I th- complacent. I think it, it definitely inspired me. And I think it made it more fun also because anytime you're working with like the best in the business, it just becomes, it becomes more fun. Like you hear funnier stories and you hear like, uh, you're like in the kind of like, in the, the, like you're working with, with like guys and girls who like you've, you've heard about like the, your whole like career kind of like you've been inspired by their careers. Now you're like sitting in a room with them writing a song and so it's definitely way more exciting to to kind of treat it that way versus kind of like either being intimidated about it or like or kind of taking a step back and like relaxing so what was the next step after that now that your name's kind of out there uh more sessions like just basically grinding through the session game just like kind of capitalizing on whatever momentum we had like coming out of 2014 i was saying yes to like everything um, so it's like if APG, uh, was like coming in and being like, Hey, we have like this new writer we're looking at, or this new artist we're looking at, I would just say yes to like every single session. And that was like, I mean, it, that, that stuff too, because like doing the session grind is like something that every producer and writer should do because that's what kind of, it's like building a muscle. So I was doing like less making beats, I'd say during this era and like more like just trying to get like great songs out of great writers and do like as many, as many like full songs as I could. As a growing artist or songwriter, keeping royalties coming in is important for keeping the bills paid. It's also important to keep an eye on those royalty payments. A lot of people we worked with here at Royalty Exchange were having a tough time making sense of the royalties that were getting paid. So we built a free tool called Know Your Worth that automatically analyzes every royalty payment made on your music. It breaks it all down in an easy to understand analysis with some insights that would be impossible to find elsewhere. Plus, it connects you with the thousands of investors on Royalty Exchange and allows them to make you offers on your music. So far, musicians have raised over a million dollars for new projects, new ventures, and a whole lot of other things just through the Know Your Worth app. If you're earning royalties, you should be keeping track of them, and Know Your Worth makes it easy. It only takes about three minutes to connect an account, and the tool will automatically update over time. Just visit worth.royaltyexchange.com or find the link in the show notes to get started. Now, let's get back to the interview. So let's uh let's like flip the script really quick and go back. Say you like you graduate you're in college and 
you don't really have this connection at APG. What do you think you would have done differently if you were just kind of like kind of thrust out into the world? I know it's kind of hard to answer, but damn, I, yeah, I don't, I don't even know. That's that's tough. I think for me, like my passions have always been music, so it's hard to even put myself in. Like I said, like when I learned piano, I was so young that I always kind of had it. Like even today, like I love to like travel and stuff. So like I would probably want to do something with travel, like do like be like a pilot or something. But it's weird. Like for me, like I don't really know. I've never really thought about it. I've never like I'm one of those people that's never had like knock on wood. I've been lucky enough to like never really have had like a real job. Like I taught piano in like high school to kind of like make some money, but that's not even like a real nine to five job. And so I don't really have any like insight on anything other than a music career. Yeah. Do you think you're, you would have found that passion for kind of pop music and creating that stuff? Or would you have gone, if stayed in music and gone a different way? I don't know. It's tough to think about. I think like, <laughs> I, I think with me, like I'm very, like, I'm very like unemotional and analytical about everything I do. And so like, I think, I mean, I'd like to think I would have found music like regardless, but it's like, like, I don't know. I kind of just take what I take, what is kind of like in front of me. And I try to like tackle it with like the best of my abilities. And like, for me, like music has kind of always been the thing that's like in front of me. Yeah. It's interesting you say that you're a little bit more analytical in that way, because at least a lot of the, uh, the newer, the new breed of songwriters and, and producers that are, are kind of born into streaming. It, it seems like it pays off to kind of have that, that mindset of being a little bit more analytical or being a little bit less, less emotional about your music. Would you kind of, would you agree with that? Yeah. I like, I, I almost use it as like a coping mechanism. Like it's like, it's such a like industry based on like highs and lows. And so if you're like checking your Spotify streams, like every single day, it's not healthy almost. It's like no different than like never putting down like your Instagram feed or like it keeps you from kind of like, like finding new inspiration or kind of like keeping like the ball moving in terms of like your, your music career too. That's not to say I don't do it. Like when I do have a song that's out, it's like, I am doing those things, but I'm like consciously trying not to get emotional or do it too much. But yeah, I mean, I think even looking back on it, maybe like I should uh, like enjoy that stuff more. Like even, I think one thing I do kind of regret is like when we did have see you again with Wiz and Charlie, when that was like number one, I think it was number one for like 12 weeks. It's like, I was still very kind of unemotional and unattached to it. And I think if that ever happens again, I think I'll kind of appreciate it more versus just kind of being like in the mindset that like, yeah, don't keep checking it. And like, don't like, like, <laughs> like I you just never know when something like that's going to have again, happen again. So I think if that does happen again or when it does happen again, I think I'll be like a little bit more in tuned with like what's going on in terms of like the actual success of the song. Well, speaking of that, let's, let's talk about see you again. Cause that's probably your, your biggest hit so far. So like, what was the, what was the production like on that? Where, where did it get started? How did all that happen? Um, so basically that song started, I want to say in 2014, I was doing like a lot of like rap song kind of productions where like, you have a pop hook, like not much different than like, I guess, like airplanes, like B.O.B. And like, it is like probably the best example of like one that like inspired me to, to kind of enjoy that style of music. Um, so basically you have like chords in a, in a hook and then you go into like rap verses. 
Um, and so I was making a bunch of those. I was working, um, I think I was working at one of the APG studios at Kuanga. Um, and I started one of those ideas super late one night. I think Frankie popped in um, when he was like heading out for the night. And he's like, yeah, we're working with this uh, this kid, Charlie Puth, tomorrow. Um, and I like played him the beat and he that I was working on. And he was like, yeah, we'll write to this one tomorrow. And I was like, cool. Um, and so kind of like shut it down for the night, came back the next day, Charlie came in, hung out with him. And we kind of played him some of those like rap song beats that I was working with the night before. And it happened real quickly. It was just like a quick, like, it was like a quick song to get written. And Charlie's like incredible. And so he like had ideas like really quickly about like what to do. And like, he's like, oh, what if we like, like my original demo, like had like synths and stuff. And he was like, oh, you should play it on piano and like strip it down. Um, And we had like kind of the whole packet of like what scenes they needed songs for Fast and Furious 7. And so at that point it was like, oh man, uh, this might work for the, the Paul Walker scene. And so I knew it was good. Like, I think that night, like a bunch of the A&Rs, like we're listening to it in the studio after, uh, we'd kind of wrapped the session and, uh, everyone like really liked it. And so we kind of dove in on the production, um, in the coming weeks after that. Kind of knew it was, it was going to be in the film. So you're, is that easier for you to, to make, make music kind of knowing where it's going to be or, um. Or is it a little bit more difficult? Um, that's kind of the first time. Honestly, like that was the first time that that had really happened. Like with the Pitbull song, the, the Penguins in Madagascar movie, they had kind of just heard it and like wanted to do something with it. Um, it wasn't like we made it for that movie. Um, and so this was kind of the first time that uh, we had had like a scene list of like what they were looking for. I guess, I mean, I see it both ways. I see it as being easier and I see it being more difficult. Um, it's easier in the, in the fact that you have like a picture painted for you. And then it's more difficult in the fact that now you have like a specific task versus just like writing a great song. Um, so I see it kind of working both ways. And then, then it got released and, um, it was, was it pretty, it was pretty much instantly a hit, right? I think it actually debuted at a hundred on, it was like the last spot or maybe 99 on the billboard chart. Um, Hmm. and like, again, I was like super like, yeah, whatever happens happens. And I think, even with that one, I was like, I wasn't totally sure it was a hit, even though like a lot of people were like really sure. Um, Cause like for me personally, like it's like, it's so like emotional and like almost makes you like want to cry. You know what I mean? It's like, and I can't think of like that many radio hits besides like maybe Adele where like there's something that emotional like goes like number one. And so I was like, yeah, like whatever happens, happens. Like, let's just, let's just ride it out. Um, and I remember it got a bunch of radio ads in the first couple of weeks. Um, and that was kind of like the first sign that something was, was going to happen. And I, I think it went straight from 99 to one within like a week or two. And I remember that was like, I mean, that was my first number one. And so I was living with, uh, Adam at the time, the the guy we talked about earlier, who was kind of my friend growing up, and he like jumped into my room and like woke me up. He's like, "Dude, your song's number one," and I was like, "I don't even know what to do." And he like he still makes fun of me for this day because I I literally like woke up and like made eggs like I do every morning and like <laughs> went to the gym and then like went to the studio and like literally just did like what I do every single day. And he still makes fun of me for that. Is that kind of your style? I mean, it seems like if you got something that that hits number one, I mean, most people might you know, lean back and relax for a little bit, but is it just kind of back to the grind for you? Or was it, was that just your way of, of continuing on? I mean, at that point I didn't, I still like, didn't really know 
what any of that really meant. Like I knew like, like I didn't know if having a number one song was like, like now like, okay, like I can get in with like literally any artist or I can get in with like any other producer. Like I didn't really have a concept of what it was going to mean. And so I was kind of still like, not freaking out, but I was like, damn, like, okay, I got to get like, like, I got to get some more songs out. Like, while I, like, while I have this like kind of momentum going. Um, and also I'm kind of like a creature of habit. Like I kind of like to do the same thing. Like, especially during that era, it was like really easy to have like kind of a set routine. Um, and it was like, if it was like a random Thursday when that song went number one, it's like, I wasn't going to do anything else. It's like, <laughs> might as well just go make another song. So what else has kind of come up with in your career? Cause that, I mean, I guess that was, that was a few years ago. So what have you been working on since? And then what's, what's coming up in the future? Uh, since we did, um, an Astrid S single called think before I talk that went number one, um, pretty much all across Europe, I think. Um, and that was an amazing song to be a part of. I wrote that with Madison Love and Scott Harris, who are two of my favorite writers and like great people, um, and just amazing collaborators. Um, and so that song was really fun. Um, and then after that, we did a Romeo Santos, uh, record that, uh, that album was nominated for a Latin Grammy. And so that record was really cool to be a part of. That was kind of my first time doing like anything in the, in the Latin realm. Um, and then like, I mean, even like this year, everything's been like super Latin. I've been working on a lot of Latin stuff. Um, even just from like going out and like hearing what's kind of playing in the clubs, I feel like everything's kind of like shifted a little bit in that direction. But then coming up, um, I'm working on a Derulo song right now. We got stuff with G-Eazy, um, that hopefully looks good. Um, got some stuff with Kiara that's looking good. So kind of just trying to keep the ball, keep the ball moving. Do you see a lot of opportunity internationally um, now that you've kind of made it in the U.S.? Or do you think uh, like newer artists should look internationally before trying to make it in the U.S.? Or um, what's your kind of take there? Because I know you talked about going to Asia and going to Europe. So, yeah, I mean, I've been like really lucky. Like I have great management too, and so the guys over at Milk and Honey have like sent me on some like really cool trips. So they sent me over to Sydney a couple times to work with their artists over there. I had a song with a Sony artist in Australia named Jai Waitford. We did a song called Champagne um, that was really fun. I had a great time working with him. Um, I've worked in France on a couple camps. I mean, the international game is great, but I think it all boils back down to like, if you really want that like big, big record, it's probably going to be in the US. But I love to travel. So like anytime there's an international opportunity, I usually jump at it. Yeah, and, and like you said, there's a lot of um, you know Latin stuff coming into the U.S. So you know if you're a big producer and and K-pop too. I mean, there's K-pop groups in the top Hot 100 all the time. It seems like so. Exactly. Still, U.S. is the is the main market. Exactly. So a lot of the people we talk to in the show are you know they're kind of coming from outside the music industry or they don't have a lot of experience. Do you think that kind of growing up in this this musical environment? like contributed to your success or I know it's another hard question, another hard kind of hypothetical for you, but do you think that contributed to, to your success or, uh, you know, if would you would have found it anyway or, you know, hard to answer. I, I mean, I definitely think that contributed. I think having parents that are super supportive of a music career is a big advantage because a lot of people, even in the industry now I talk to and they're like, yeah, my parents like wanted me to go to business school and like, they were not pleased when I dropped out and like 
decided I was going to write songs. And that was never an, a thing with my parents. It was like, okay, you want to do music? Great. Like, let's like, like, let's work for it. And so I think that's an advantage. I think a lot of it is kind of genetic, maybe. I think my dad always like tells me stories of like how like I'd be like riding along in the backseat of like his car, like kind of singing back like jazz solos of like Coltrane and like Charlie Parker. And like, I was like three years old and like, he'd have friends be like, that's not, not normal for like a three-year-old kid to kind of be like, to be like singing through like two, five, one chord progressions. And so I do think I've had like a lot of advantages in that sense, but I've always said like, I'm not really the best. I mean, I'm not the best at like anything. Like I'm not the best like piano player. I'm not the best guitar player. I'm not the best producer. I'm not the best writer, but I've definitely like worked hard to like hone this craft and like turn it in to like a viable, a viable career option. And I think what I maybe don't have on like the, 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 the talent side I can make up for in, in hard work. And I think, um, not that I don't have anything on the talent side, I think I'm kind of a healthy balance of like the natural ability with the like 10,000 hour rule. And like, I'd like to think that I'm like somebody who kind of combined those two things and like found that happy medium to create what I have now. So when you're, you're creating new stuff nowadays, is it mostly organic or do you still listen to the radio and, and see what's hot and see what uh, maybe you could pull and, or at least try to emulate or is it kind of all on your own? I'm always listening to the radio, even still. Like, I think, I think the radio is kind of still, even though it might be, you could argue that it's kind of like taking a backseat to streaming. It's still kind of how I keep tabs on, on pop music, mainly because that's how as a writer and producer, we, we mainly make our money. So it's, I want to be shooting for stuff that kind of sounds like the radio versus shooting for stuff that like sounds like streaming. Not that there's like a rule that like a stream hit can't be a radio hit and a radio hit can't be a stream hit. Um, I think I would just rather like shoot more towards that radio direction, um, which is definitely like, it's good and bad right now because a lot of the, the streaming stuff is popping off more kind of organically, you could say, than the radio stuff. Um, so I do try to kind of stay in the loop with the streaming stuff too, but I'd say, I'd say 50% of my, my listening is radio. 30% is, is streaming and 20% is like going and like seeing shows and like kind of being out there and like seeing what's going on firsthand. Hopefully that was a hundred percent, right? 50, 30, 20. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's not, it'd be okay if it was 110 too, we'll give you one pass. <laughs> cool. Yeah, no, it's a, it's definitely kind of a shift radio to streaming. Um, but it's definitely two different, two different kinds. Um, a lot of the people we talk to at least will, will write hit or write songs specifically for a, a playlist, you know, then they're trying to get, get playlisted there. Cause that can just be a huge payday and totally. you're not competing with a lot of top 40 people that way you know you can compete with with a whole lot of different people so it's an interesting kind of kind of shift and uh we'll exactly. see changes over the next couple of years do you have any big plans for the future or anything uh like any big big stuff coming out in the next year i mean hopefully that's like i mean you just never know like i mean that's one thing i've learned is that like you could you could have the next single a week before and then you could not have it and so i mean i've got stuff that like looks real good but like i said like i never get I never get too attached to it, like until it's like a done deal. Like the deal's done, it's like out, and it's like ready to go. But yeah, I got a, a great song with Derulo right now, a great song with G Easy, and and a great song with Kiara. So those are kind of the three that I'm like, I'd say most excited about. But hopefully, 
if one of those comes out, great. If two, even better. If all three, amazing. So we'll see what happens. Cool. If you had to go back and talk to yourself, maybe in college or before college, right after you get out and are with APG, um, knowing what you know now, would you have any pieces of advice to give yourself? That's tough. I mean, I think maybe enjoy that grind and enjoy that process and like don't really get caught up on the little things as much. I think I did a good job of that. But even looking back on it, I'm like, man, that would be like kind of fun to just like go back to 2012 being like a senior. Like I couldn't wait to graduate, but it'd be like really fun to do like one more of those crazy grinds where I was like, I was in class all morning and like I was grinding in the studio all night and then like maybe even trying to go to a few parties mixed in between there and just like being completely inundated with like life and so busy instead of kind of like at the time I was probably like man I can't wait to graduate and like I would drop out right now just to do music and so I think it'd be fun to kind of do that grind period over and kind of like just enjoy the absurdity of like that year year and a half that's cool it's been awesome to talk to you and a uh, cool guy and um great story you guys rock. I appreciate the time. And of course, let me know if you need anything else. I'm happy to hop back on here. Um, and I'm looking forward to hearing it. Yeah, best of luck. Thanks for listening to this episode. Check out what Andrew's up to through his socials linked in the show notes. If you want to get every new episode of this podcast downloaded to your feed, just tap the subscribe button wherever you're listening. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next Tuesday with a brand new episode.